Welcome back to another episode of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the misfits and outcasts. You are listening to episode 26. On the podcast, we have Reverend Bailey Bronner. It's the Bailey Show. Um, Bailey is a pastor, a speaker, a writer, an LGBTQIA activist, and a podcast host who lives and works at the intersection of faith and sexuality. Bailey moved from Alaska to San Diego, talk about a change, with her dog, Oakley, and is appointed as the senior pastor at Mission Hills United Methodist Church, a reconciling congregation. Her unique perspective and identity has made her a prominent leader in the queer faith spaces in the UMC and in digital ministry spaces, which so many of us are in, whether we like it or not. Thanks, COVID-19. Across her work, Bailey lives into her call to create spiritual spaces for those who have experienced religious trauma. Such a gift, you guys. So many people need this, maybe even some of you. You can connect with Bailey um, at her website, Bailey in like Nancy Bronner.com or on social media at Bailey in Bronner. I will link all of those in the show notes too. But for right now, let's get started talking to Bailey Bronner. Bailey Bronner, welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So it's like the Bailey show, which my wife, Sarah, have pointed out several times. She's like, you're, you're both named Bailey. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's very cool for her, apparently, which I think is great, too. Although interesting, because I don't know a ton of Baileys. Do you? I don't either. No. And I know. Yeah, I don't know a ton of Baileys, but it's great. I love seeing yeah, it's like double my name everywhere. It's wonderful. You know, we don't have the keychains, but like we have each other. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So my mom um obviously named me Bailey. And when she did it, she was like, This name is so unique. There's not gonna be like six Baileys in, in her kindergarten class, you know, like there would have been like Jessica's or Hannah's or something. So she was so proud of herself. She took me to preschool. I'm three years old on my first day of preschool. I walk in, walk up to a little girl and say, hi, my name's Bailey. What's your name? And she said, my name's Bailey too. My mom was like, oh, come on. I worked so hard to get a good, unique name. And the first girl. Yeah, of course. My dad made me or my, well, my parents decided they wanted to name me Billy if I was a boy, um, because it was a good baseball name. Cause my dad played baseball. Um, but then I wasn't oh. a boy. And so I think it was sort of like, what's the closest we can get to this without being like a traditional boy name. So you have a better story. Yeah. At, least. at least your parents were trying for uniqueness. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay. So I have a question that Sarah told me that I had to ask you. Um, so for our listeners who don't know, my wife, Sarah, and Bailey know each other. And Sarah was actually on Bailey's podcast called Ask uh, the Pastor Anything. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go over there and look at that because that's really cool. But um, 
Sarah said, okay, I really need you to ask Daly where she gets her collars and her clergy shirts. Because apparently you have very cool clergy wear and we have to know where you get it. Yeah, I just make them. Like I just cut, I get like mock neck shirts and then just cut two slits. Like I don't sew or anything like that, but I just got tired of paying like a hundred dollars for like a plain black shirt. So, and, and I think people, so one time I went to go visit the hospital when I was just starting out. And I mean, I'm not like, I don't look old now, but I looked 25 because I was at the time and they like wouldn't let me in the hospital yeah. to go visit a parishioner because I didn't like look like a pastor <laughs> and I was like first of all I didn't want to get into like what does a pastor look like to you whatever that's a whole other conversation but yeah so I started wearing a collar um to like those sorts of things and then I'm like I'm kind of bored with this so I yeah saw a mock neck one time and I was like why don't I just cut it and see and no one really knew the difference so here we are <laughs> oh my goodness that is brilliant okay so now that's, that's something that we are obviously going to have to do because we talk about it all the time too. Sarah's always like, I guess for my birthday, I'll take another clergy shirt. I guess for Christmas, I'll take another, like, and it's like, we keep using yeah. those, you know, those gifts that you would normally spend a little bit more on for work wear. And that just doesn't make any sense. Um, speaking of starting to wear collars because people wouldn't let you into hospitals. Um, do you like wearing a collar? Like, I know that there are, so for me personally, I have very strong feelings about how I think people shouldn't have to wear things like that. And Sarah <clears throat> didn't for quite a while when we moved here to this church, but she also looks young. She's, she's almost 40, but she looks so young that people were constantly making those types of comments to her too. And so she started wearing it and I hate it. Like, I don't hate her in it. I just like hate that you specifically that women in ministry have to do that. Do you also dislike it or do you have a very different take on it? Yeah, I don't, I don't hate wearing collars because I think it's almost like a form of activism for me at this point, because I'm very open about, I think when I was, um, I wasn't out at my first churches I served in Alaska, um, before coming here to San Diego where I'm currently at. And so I think for me, that was really, um, it was just annoying. I think at that point, but now that I'm so out as like openly queer and like young and female and like defying all the norms, like whenever I can, I think it's kind of an, a form of activism because people can't, they can't see me as a queer person or a pastor. Like they have to see me as both. And I think that that's kind of a cool, I don't know. I feel like a badass when I wear a collar now, but it wasn't always like that. Like I, it was annoying. I think what bothered me is the robes because people expect me to wear robes. And in my tradition, I feel like that's more common to see people in robes than collars, um, or at least where I grew up. Um, and I, have no interest in wearing a robe like whatsoever like someone really insists on it at a funeral or wedding sure but I just don't I don't know I, I can't be my full self in things that feel stifling or like personality less in that way so I don't hate it but I yeah I hate the the idea that you have to do it in order to be seen as valid in your profession I think that's silly yes yeah yeah I get that so you are, for our listeners who don't know, you're a pastor in United Methodist Church, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
did you always want to be a pastor? How did you get here? Yeah, I still don't know that I want to be a pastor. I'm learning. Um, I'm learning to love it. It's it's what I'm called to do. It's I'm like here for the long run. That's fine. It's great. Um, but I, uh, my undergrad is in elementary education. And so I grew up, um, my mom did daycare and preschool uh, for all teachers, kids. And so I was around teachers my entire life and hung out with kids my whole life, learned to teach from like whatever age five when I did homework with the preschoolers, all that stuff. So that was kind of just in my DNA in a way. Um, and then so I went off to college to do that because I just, I knew I was good at it. I knew I would do fine and I didn't have anything else. And then midway through college, um, I did an internship at my home church over the summer um, <clears throat> in Alaska. And my pastor at the time asked me to preach. And I was like, no, no, thank you. But like, you can't say no when they ask you that. So I was like, if you really think I can do it, that's fine. I was stressed. And then I got up there to speak and I was like, shoot, this is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> So from then on, it's just kind of been like a journey to learning to love it and learning to fit myself into this mold that is pastor in ways that um, still make sense and are still authentic to me. Yeah. Were you raised United Methodist? I was, yeah. I um, grew up in a pretty progressive United Methodist church in Anchorage, Alaska, um, which is where I'm from. Oh my gosh. Um, I want to talk more about the UMC, but first, how was it moving from Alaska to San Diego is where you you are now, right? I mean, yeah. those are massively different. They're different. Yeah, it is so different. And I, I don't know. I mean, it didn't feel like a big, I moved for a lot of reasons. One of them being, um, I have like an autoimmune disease, lupus, and like some other ones that are kind of in there too. So my body mm -hmm. just doesn't react well to cold or to rain or anything like that. And so, uh, halfway through, I only was in Alaska for a year after I came back from seminary in Boston, which is also pretty cold. I was in Montana before that. So like I was used to the cold climate, but for whatever reason, going back to Alaska hit differently that time. And my body just was like, like legitimately killing itself. And, um, yeah. so yeah, I made a call to the Bishop of the United Methodist church. And I, um, I used to work, I used to um, intern at his office when I was in Seattle in undergrad. And he has always like joked around with me. He's like, yeah, if you ever want to come to Southern California, let me know. I'm like, yeah, that's really funny. Like, sure. Um, and then one day I did, I called him up and he's like, I will do my best. Um, and I got lucky. So here we are. It's, it's wonderful though. Like it's the best. I don't ever want to leave because it's, I don't know, it's sun all day. It's just like year round. I can wear shorts or at least not have to like worry about gloves in my life. You know, it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of great things about, about San Diego. Yeah. I've never been to Southern California, but my sister, um, lived there for a couple of years. Her husband is in the military. And so they lived out there and now they're in Virginia. Um, but I must say right now when we have maybe about a foot of snow because I'm in New Jersey that sounds really great <laughs> like I I, I love the snow I mean I love it I do but oh my goodness it sounds so nice to like not be in layers all the time um okay so let's talk about the United Methodist Church I'm sure you get this question all the time um but I want to talk about it because because and maybe because you grew up in 
in a more progressive church, maybe, um, maybe your experience is very different than mine. But I also grew up in the United Methodist Church in Ohio. So pretty, you know, conservative place. Um, and I loved it. I love the church structure. I love the theology. I just, I love the United Methodist Church so much. And then I came out and I was semi-politely told that I was done. Like I could not do it, any of the things that I was doing anymore. I was just, I was so involved in like leading worship in the band, um, on the missions committee, teaching Sunday school, uh, helping out in youth group, just like all of these things because I loved doing all of these things so much. And then I came out and someone politely kind of took me to lunch and was like, you're done. You're not doing the same more. We can't have you around the kids specifically. They were worried about. And I was 18. I was so young and I was so scared. And it is, it's, it's very sad to me because I love the tradition so much. And um, there's so much of it who, so many people in that denomination who have a lot of uh, convictions surrounding the LGBTQ community. So I would love to know, since you are out and you're a pastor in this denomination, have you had any of those interactions or is are, are, are our experiences just really different? Um, we have, we definitely have similar experiences. Um, I had, um, in my first church, I was having a conversation cause that was, it was in 2018 when the special, there was a special session called of our like yes. annual of our meeting or like our quadrennial every four year meeting, um, specifically to talk about LGBTQ plus inclusion mm -hmm. or not. Um, and so it was during that. And so I was preaching a sermon on what it, you know, what, it, what that decision had meant and blah, blah, blah. And I was just having a conversation after the service with one of our older members. And she was like, oh, I don't have a problem with the gays, but I just like, they just can't be teaching our kids. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. well, like, uh, and like, I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't in a secure position to be like, well, like, sorry, I'm queer. So like, I'm, I teach your kids every week. So you know, I don't know what you have to be worried about, but like, use me as an example, yeah. you know, like, I wish that I could have said more in that moment, but it's really stifling when someone says that your humanity is not good enough for, you know, for God's calling on your life. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And so, um, yeah, yeah with that con conviction, like comes a lot of pain. I'm also incredibly privileged and in that I've been in fairly progressive environments. I'm, I pastored in the place that I grew up. And so the people were able to give me the benefit of the doubt. I mean, not the same church, but the same, you know, the same conference. And it was small enough that people knew me and they, um, yeah. were able to trust some of my more progressive stances more than if I was just a newbie in a new conference, that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I've had a lot of those experiences in the Methodist church. And I think that, um, I don't get, I don't get blatant homophobia because I don't think the Methodist church, if we're using stereotypes is very good at 
or if we're using generalizations, is very good at um, like direct communication. I think we like to talk around <laughs> issues a lot yeah. of the time or like point it point fingers at something else that's unrelated and that kind of thing. So um, now I don't get so much of that anymore because I just am really unapologetic about it um, because I feel like I have to be, because I feel like I want to be, but also because I feel like I have to be because of stories like yours and like stories like I've had as well um, when I wasn't able to, yeah, when I wasn't able to have as much conviction behind who I am because I didn't want to lose my place in the church or I didn't want to, um, lose relationships, that kind of thing. So it's messy. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think how I went past this. Um, did any of those experiences ever make you doubt the goodness of being in a, uh, being in a non-heterosexual relationship or, um, you know, like, okay. So growing up, it was always that whole thing of like same sex attraction. I don't know if you got that. And it was like basically saying you're, you choose whether you are gay or straight and you may be SSA, but it doesn't mean you have to act on it. Um, did any of your experiences ever make you question your thoughts on the holiness of being queer and being in same-sex relationships? They did not. Um, I was yeah. also, I was also an adult when I came out. Um, and I was an adult when I gotcha. realized that I was queer as well. So, um, that, I had a lot more tools in my tool belt, I think, than a lot of people who come out earlier in life. Um, yeah. But I was in seminary when I learned I was queer and I was at, I went to Boston University, which is a very progressive um, yeah. LGBTQ plus seminary. Um, so there was that. Um, my coming out, my like coming out experience in general was very easy. I was on um, Queerology, one of uh, Matthias Roberts' podcasts, um, talking about, yeah. uh, just talking about my experience with faith and faith and sexuality and um, like sent that link to my parents. And that was how I came out to them. And, and I, so I didn't really care. Like, of course I wanted people to be like, that's great. We're excited. We still want to be in relationship with you, but I didn't, it didn't matter to me what the church said, what the people in my life who were people of faith said or whatever else. Um, it was important for me to um, like be honest about my story. And it was a, it just happened to be a good time to do that. So I, I've never doubted the belovedness of God um, in relation to my sexuality at all, but I've definitely doubted the belovedness of church and the institution. And that's something that I still wrestle with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I have said over and over again, um, it was never God. I doubted it was always his people or God's people, um, her people. I'll leave the pronouns open. Sarah gets, Sarah gets super, because I'm still so, uh, I still use male pronouns and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not saying God is a man. It's just what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that difference of like how you feel about God or how you feel that God 
feels about you. That was a lot of feelings um, versus the church. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I had a relationship with God from the moment I was born and before that and whatever, whenever you think that experience started, like that's been a part of who I am, even before I knew about my sexual orientation, my gender identity, any of that, before I had the names for how I identified, like all of that stuff. And so that my being loved by God was never in question for me at all. And part of that is that I was raised in a really great community, church community that really preached that. Like we didn't talk a ton about sin and wrath and whatever, not doing what God wanted you to do. Like that just wasn't important to the communities that I was a part of. And I'm really grateful for that. I think they left a lot of things out that I had to learn later about that kind of thing. Like what is sin? What is evil? Like, does hell exist? Like, is that a thing? That kind of stuff. But, um, but to have a grounding that says God loves you. And because of God's grace, there's nothing you can do or not do to separate yourself from the love of God. Like that is key. And if, if everybody who came out or who identified as LGBTQIA plus had that experience, we'd have a lot less religious trauma, I believe, because the church likes to, I don't know. I think there's a, there's this, it's almost like, I mean, it's not almost like it is like things that are different from the norm are threatening to the like religious elite or like the privileged people in general. Mm -hmm. And especially and like Christians are privileged, privileged religiously for the most part. Um, And so when we get into situations where something is being forced to change or asked to change, or we're being um, met with something that we don't know enough about, we tend to close the door um, and leave whoever is on that different, um, whoever's in that different category behind. Um, And so that's why I say that I was never I was never concerned about if God loved me or not. It was about if the church loved me. And by me, I mean like not even myself because as a religious leader, I have a lot of, I mean, I have a, I have a lot more um, kind of tools in my tool belt, I think, than people who are trying to just get their foot in the door and like sit for a service, you know? So yeah, that that's sort of the differentiation that I see between God and the church. Yeah. How do you lead when, okay, I'll go back. Are there, have you ever had to lead someone who does have very different views on anything? And how do we, how are we in relationship with people who believe so differently than we do because some sometimes it's a big deal there are big issues how how are we kind how do we keep doing that I don't know (laughs) on my best days I try um yeah I don't know I mean I feel like the past I don't know eight years I guess have been a whirlwind to go through as somebody in any profession but as pastors specifically um because our congregations are so different um in general. And, um, yeah, how do we, a, like, we can't in, we can't like endorse political candidates, right? Like that's just not a thing that we do. Um, and when we talk about Jesus in ways that are 
maybe uncomfortable or maybe that relate too closely to what's going on in the world, there are certain people who freak out about that and call it political. Um, and so I've just always stuck to the teachings of Jesus. And I feel like that story speaks for itself, right? Like Jesus, the table flipper specifically, like Jesus knew that it was important to help the people who were marginalized, the people that weren't being listened to, the people whose voices weren't, um, weren't being heard. And he was really unapologetic in making them listen. And so um, I guess if, if my job is to um, emulate those teachings of Jesus, then that's what I have to do. And so I've sort of stopped apologizing for sharing that message. And it also doesn't get people very far to say you're being too political. And cause I, I mean, we can just immediately counter back with, well, like, what did Jesus say? Like, I don't know how to tell the story any different than, you know, than this. And it just so happens that if you look outside your window, this is exactly what's happening in the world. So like, I don't know, you know, like it's a pretty clear connection to me. So I, I don't know. It's, I think, I think to answer your question, the thing that I've learned to do is ask myself if someone is looking to be right, or if they're looking for a relationship and if they're looking mm -hmm. for a relationship, then there are questions I can ask there. Are, you know, I want to know their story. I want to hear like what made them come to this conclusion about what they believe. And, um, I want to, give an up, have an opportunity to share my story if that's something that's appropriate. Um, but if someone's looking to be right, then we can kind of say, you know, you can stay or go at this point. And I don't, you know, it's, it's really up to you, but just know that I'm not, this is not an out of the ordinary message that you're going to hear me preach about love and justice. So if that doesn't work for you, you know, there are 50 other churches in your area that I'm sure would be happy to have you, you know? So that's, that's a differentiation is, are you looking to be right? Or are you looking for a relationship? Yeah. And that's really good advice for all of us of like, when we come up against people who believe differently than we do, um, are we willing to be in relationship with them or would we rather be right? Um, I love that. Okay. Uh, in the last couple of minutes here, I would like to ask you, imagine that there is a person listening who has never before met a queer pastor because I know they're out there because I had never met one until um, I met Sarah actually she was the first queer pastor I ever met in my life um, what would you like to say to them specifically if they are still really hung up on those verses in the bible that say that queerness is wrong. Yeah, the Bible does not say at all that being LGBTQIA plus is a sin. I mean, that's the, that's just the main point, I suppose. Um, and if you take the time to study scripture, to find somebody who does a really great book is God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, you'll see that there are a lot yeah. of um, nuances in scripture and the ways that we choose to translate it, choose to pass it on, um, choose to read it, choose to interpret it. Um, those are choices that we've made. And so some are, some are contextual things. There are, there are six verses in the Bible that are known as the clobber texts. And those are the, if you're listening and you're in that boat, you know what those things are. Um, they're the things that people will throw at the queer community to say that it's 
a sin. Um, and those things are, all those verses either are um, mistranslated, taken out of context. Um, those are those are the two like key things. So um, finding people and resources that you trust is really important because your belovedness was never at stake and your, um, yeah, your humanity is not a sin. And that's not like, that's not how the God that I know, that's not how that God works at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your, what did you say? Your humanity is not a mistake. That sounds great. If I didn't say it, I will claim it now. Sure. Uh, (laughs) I'll go back and listen and that, that'll be the quote we pull. (laughs) Um, okay. So wrapping up, what, what else would you like to talk about? Are you working on anything? Um, did we not touch on anything you want to talk about? Um, I was going to say that I love y'all or I love your podcast. I think it's great. That's one Thank thing you. that I was going to say, cause I really do. I don't, yeah, I do listen to your podcast and I think it's wonderful. So that's one thing. Um, some stuff that I'm working on, um, my kind of main platform now is TikTok. So if you want to see some like sassy videos about, um, being queer and Christian or about whatever else, um, that is where you can find me there. But um, I am working, actually an exciting project that is happening right now is uh, there's a Kickstarter going for a project that our Bible app, which is a um, an inclusive app that has a bunch of devotionals yes. and podcasts and really great resource. Um, but they're coming out with an anthology, like a physical book um, with over 60 authors that kind of leads readers through um, the journey of deconstruction, reconstruction, and then liberation. And so um, it's like the top devotionals um, on the app got put into this anthology and they're um, really cool, like all sorts of different subjects. There's some stuff that's faith related. There's some stuff that has to do with racial justice, um, chronic pain and disability theology is like a section of that too. Um, And yeah, there's only over like 60 authors in it. Uh, Really really, really great people um, that you probably know as well. But anyways, we're we're doing a Kickstarter and we actually passed our goal, but we're um, looking to get more backers so that we can give out more copies because I think it's a really important thing. So um, that you can find at our Bible app on Instagram and Twitter. Amazing. I know I'm so excited about that. Every time I see somebody like tweet about it is really, I'm I'm Twitter more than anything right now. Uh, Okay. Real quick, can I ask you, um, is TikTok worth it? Because I have resisted so much because I don't understand it. And I feel like I keep people keep telling me, like, apparently that I'm old. So I just, I, I have not done it yet. Like you don't Are have there an account? Old there? You... Yeah, 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 I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good, I think at the beginning, it's really infuriating because you're just faced with people who are just random people from across the app. But then the more you use it, the more they learn what you like and what to show, what videos to show you, which is kind of scary, but like, here we are, like everything's on the internet, whatever. Um, so it, but like, yeah, now I see basically just like old, like young adult lesbians and some dog videos and that's pretty much my all I see so you can make it you can make it like worth it I think okay okay good to know 
All right, um, Bailey, tell everybody where they can find you, connect with you, your podcast, everything. Yeah, um, you can find me at Bailey N. Bronner, N for Nicole, um, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that. And then baileynbronner.com is my website with all my sermon blogs and stuff. And yeah, my podcast is um, in a construction process. So we're not sure if it's going to live for another season or not. It takes so much work. I don't know. I don't know yeah. how you do it. It's just so it's time consuming. And I'm like, is this, is there a better place that I can use my energy? So that's where mm. we're at with the podcast. Yeah, no, for sure. I, um, we're just starting up season three. I took a year off. Cause I felt the same way. I was like, oh my gosh, I just can't do it anymore. Um, but okay, cool. But there's a ton of, of episodes of ask a pastor, anything that you can go back and listen to. They're still great. Even if you don't come back for another season. Thanks so much for joining me today on this episode of the making room on the pew podcast. As always, you can find me on social media at Bailey Joe Welch and online at my website, baileyjoewelchpomerance.com. And yes, I will link that in the show notes because I know Pomerance can get a little tricky to spell. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode comes out. And if you wouldn't mind taking just a few seconds to rate and review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. Doing those few easy things allows us to get the podcast in front of more people so we can all continue to make room on the pew. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.